This has been an honor to meet two pioneer Emma Red Eye. <laughs> Oh my God, we're back. I can't believe it. Are we, you know, last time we talked all about the internet, web one and web two. And Gina Trapani's back with us. Gina, the CEO of Postlight. Hello. 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 Welcome back, Gina. It's great to have you because it's getting, it's getting real now. Look, we talked about the rise of the web and the rise of web 1.0 and the ability for anyone in the world to read something that's published to anyone else for free. And then Web 2.0, which gave everyone the sort of programmatic building blocks to build anything they want. And you saw this explosion of creativity and this mass empowerment. Now we're like 14 years into that. And we've got giant companies, centralized platforms. Everything that you could do with those older webs you can still do. You can still publish that HTML page and put it on a server and link to it. I love peeking into those communities out there that still do the old school stuff. Like there's libraries like Beautiful Soup and Python that just does all kinds of wacky things. That is still out there. Nothing is taken away. The culture just really starts to emphasize certain things over others. And look, man, the convenience and the power. I mean, what's in my pocket and my kids asking the Google Home device What's the capital of what country? I mean, they don't want to hear these nostalgic stories. By the way, if you didn't listen, the last episode of this podcast took you down memory lane, but then it took a hard like Ridley Scott turn to this place where they know everything about you. So let's take, let's criticize the state of technology today. This massive democratic experiment that is Web 1, that becomes Web 2, which actually gave even more power if you could program a little bit, or if you could just read a really well-designed API, you could build things on top of other things. And all of this empowerment eventually coalesced into four companies. I mean, let's just say it out loud. What else are we going to do on a podcast? <laughs> well, simple. Facebook, <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> Apple, Netflix, Google. That's that's Fang. That's the really bad. It doesn't acronym. make sense either because there's like, where's Microsoft, which is like the sleeping giant and all of this. And it's there. It's there. They're all there. And there is a lot of discussion today. Like Facebook is this behemoth. It's billions of users. And there's a lot of internal motivations within Facebook. They love that guy for the congressional testimony because he kind of sweats it out. Right. Like Jack Dorsey was never as good in congressional text because they're just like, who the hell is he? He's got that beard. Like they could never figure him out. But the congressmen love Facebook. They do love Facebook. But I mean, let's uh, I'll say it out loud. I think Facebook does a lot of really bad things to the world. Like, uh, I mean, I don't think there's malice, but I think there's malfeasance a lack of doing the right thing. There's a lot of lack of doing the right thing happening there because they can. But look, this thing is a machine. It reports to stockholders. It makes billions of dollars and it has to do what it has to do. But let's let's go even more subtly than that. Like when I just hit a web page, I hit the New York Times and if they're seeing me steer towards a health article about raising kids, there's data making its way out of the New York Times and out of any site that is providing any content over to people who want to buy that data so they can tell me about booster seats and baby food and anything else, right? Isn't that a better experience, Rich? It's personalized. 
Well, there is that. Why don't you just click on ad choices, the worst and stupidest little icon interface ever, and then set <laughs> your ad such choices. such a bad... <laughs> that is one of the most bizarre patterns. They suck so bad for that. That is just such a like, oh no, of course, we absolutely yeah. care about your choices. We're going to put... Yeah. Four little pixels in a corner and make it's like Pac-Man to try to actually click on it. And then when you get there, it'll be some garbage interface that makes no sense. It's a misbegotten industry. But this is, you know, there's intent and there's impact, right? And those are different. I, I don't think that, that anyone at Facebook intended to have the impact that they have, but the impact is undeniable. And I think one of the collective delusions we've all lived under in the technology industry with big pipes and huge storage available to us is having more data is going to make a better experience for you because it's going to mm. make it personalized and just for you, right? But that well, we're has also, We're big fans of there's no harm in it. You know, we'll just keep blogging, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll just, you know, just keep the data, keep blogging. Yeah, like this might be useful later in aggregate. We can see this and that, right? And then Rich gets better booster seats. I think because we understand how the machine works, I think we're, we're able to make better judgments about it. And I'm not, I don't want to, I want to say this without sounding elitist, but I got to tell you, my mom, if I took out her Capital One browser add-on, she has a browser add-on that's just Capital One. It just has a button on it that says log into the bank. I'm like, mom, why do you have it? It freaks me out because it's this Internet Explorer add-on that has been sitting there, which has rights that go beyond a web page. And I understand how these things work. And she said to me, look, do whatever you want. Clean up my machine, but don't take that out. It's my bank. I mean, it makes sense, right? From her perspective. I want to just, I want to know how to get to the bank. I'm going to call it, I'm going to use a radical term. Can you abuse usability? To the point where ease of use can actually overwhelm decision making such that you want these conveniences in such an extreme way that you're not even judging the implications of them. And that's a lot of the world. A lot of the world are not technologists. They have all kinds of professions and they love that convenience and they love the power of it. And they love she loves being able to see where I am on the map. We find all that stuff kind of kind of gross. Really? We're just like, oh, tacky. Dude, we've graduated into being whistleblowers. Yeah, there's something there's some, in my mind. I'm like, is that browser add-on actually mining Ethereum in the background? Do your no, that's, like, right. I that's use, right. I use browser cycles. Is the I in Capital right. One really a one? And it's a complete scam. <laughs> so this is bad. And now there is this promise. I'm going to say the words. I'm going to turn it over to both of you to take a crack at defining it. The word, they they tend to glue it together, I've noticed. They put the three right next to the B, I've noticed, when they type it up now. Branding. Like more like technology when you do that. Yeah, Yeah, I guess. Lowercase web, capital three. Exactly. Web three. And web three is promising to attack a lot of what we've been venting about for the last 15 minutes here, 10 minutes. What is web three? Here's my real cynical take. Web three is a concept designed by forward-thinking technologists Mm. as a form of backlash to our current setup of very centralized technology experiences, you know, led by giant companies, to capture capital from investors and the market to swing the pendulum back toward more decentralization, more privacy, and, I mean, let's just say it, more blockchain. Whoa. Okay. There's a lot in there to unpack. Paul, your turn? Uh, it sounds about right. I have a, a officially neutral opinion on crypto, which is, well, I don't like the environmental effects of a lot of it. But for the most part, if people believe in what they want to believe, and if people decide that that's the currency that they like, okay, that's the system that they want to use, okay, I'm, I'm not going to judge their software. Software is money. 
and I don't have a lot of trouble with the idea that money and software can be the same thing because that we're kind of we've been edging that way in our the rest of the economy for a while. So I'm like, all right, it's not my thing, but that's okay. Wait, wait, though, where do where did crypto come from? Serious question. Web three is about building on top of blockchains and the way that blockchains are understood, perceived and operated upon in our society today is that you create a currency, some sort of blockchain that is also has a token associated with it and that finds its way into a marketplace. And that's actually to me the biggest problem that I think Web3 has, which is that Web1, Web2, those ideas showed up and people did the best they could to make them work and then the market would figure out if they could thrive or not. And what that did was kill a lot of really goofy ideas, as well as some great ones. Some absolutely wonderful stuff went away because it couldn't get venture capital. But it meant that there was a certain bias towards good things that lots of people wanted that survived. Web3 stuff shows up pre-financialized. It just shows up as commerce. And then it'll be like, well, it's commerce, but it's also art. I've got these things on the blockchain and I can point to these images and then you can, you put some Ethereum towards them and you're going to own that pointer and all these sort of things happen. I'm talking about NFTs there. What is Web3 to me? Web3 to me is a set of decentralized blockchain driven technologies that tend to be associated with tokens in various ways because that's how that culture works. And you can do web-like things, but with a few different features added. So with marketplaces built in at the absolute fundamental core level, I can buy assets. I can have little racehorses that race and I can buy those racehorses and then I can race them and they can compete in the kind of gambling context. I can do sort of all these like little exciting things. I, mean, I can put documents into the Filecoin network and I can I can store them that way or stuff like that. I can do things I used to do with Web 1.0, but I can do it using blockchain technologies without a centralized server, without coordination, using a relatively anonymous is a tricky word, but sort of abstract identity for myself. And I can jump in and do that wherever I want, whoever I am, anywhere in the world. The problem I have with it is that the things it lets me do are just not things that I tend to want to do. So like when I say problem, it's like my personal problem with it. Like I don't, I put all my money in index funds. I don't care. And I, I don't like to gamble. I don't enjoy gambling. I barely know the rules of poker. And I, I want to use Google Docs at this stage of my life. So there's just, it doesn't have a lot for me, but people are very excited about it. They feel that it's going to let you do all those things eventually, but you won't need to have Google. You'll, you'll have decentralized Google Docs. I mean, I always try to separate, though, blockchain from cryptocurrencies, right? Like, so blockchain is just a way to prove ownership. And you prove ownership because everyone agrees that you own the thing, right, instead yeah. of the bank agreeing that you own the money. I mean, I think cryptocurrencies is the way that we've seen blockchain actually be a thing. But I'm, mm-hmm. And blockchain's problematic because the computing power, it's an ecological disaster. So yes, agree. Are there any blockchains that aren't ultimately sort of traded as crypto though? That I mean, this is the thing. About. Crypto is the most popular and known application. We haven't seen other popular applications of blockchain, but, I, but my understanding, I could be wrong here, my understanding that Web3 is that, is using the blockchain to decentralize proof of ownership and identity and storage of data, take it away out of Google's hands or out of Apple's hands or out of Facebook's hands. And we all agree that this you know piece of data belongs to you. I've, I've been doing a lot of reading on this. Yeah, go ahead. Tell us what we missed. Richard. Yeah, tell us what we got wrong. I don't think we missed anything. I think what we are are victims of, it's a hype campaign right now. 
and it, it lacks real definition of what it is. Why are people hyping it? What is the reason that anyone have? I'll tell you why. They are hyping it for the same reason that ML is hyped, the same reason that AI is hyped, the same reason that augmented reality is hyped, the metaverse is hyped. Technology is propelled forward by anxiety just as much as it is propelled forward by innovation. We are the business owners of an agency that actually runs counter to how a lot of them work. And a lot of them, the way they work is they tell you you're missing out because you're one step behind the latest tech. And if you don't hire us and we don't let us transform where you're at, you're going to be left in the dust, right? And so right now, what you have in Web3 is a lot of momentum around speculative value creation, frankly, that's fueled by investors, that's fueled by marketers, that's fueled by media. It's that famous Onion t-shirt, right? Uh, You've never heard of my favorite band or something like that. I forget the exact Mm. wording of it, right? It feels real (laughs) good, good. right? It feels real good to know that you are one step ahead. And the truth is, there's a lot of people writing those Medium posts and writing articles to define it, and they're throwing everything in. I bailed on a few of them because it's like, and now let me tell you how augmented reality helps the Web3 Web three come alive. And I'm like, oh, come on, dude. Like, are you just going to throw it in there? Is that where we are? But I think you guys both touched on it. It's funny how it all works because there is something so dramatically capitalist about all of it. And yet the promise is that it's going to give you control back and take it away from the powers that be, which yep. is just the irony is just rich here, right? Like it's it's a hell of a thing. I guess they're DAOs or DAOs, the digital something somethings. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to the Web3 no, people. Don't apologize, but, Paul. <laughs> but essentially they're like, this is the future of democracy and you just have to buy in to get, you know, the maximum number of shares and then you get all the voting rights that you could ever want. You just have to buy them. And you're just like, guys, you missed, like, you missed literally the last 3,000 years of human society. Like, you're just, you're kind of rolling it back. Let's do it through a use case, okay? When I log into my WashingtonPost.com account, owned by Jeff Bezos, but I sign in with my Google account, you can do that, right? It's a very common thing. Sign in with Google, sign in with Facebook, sign in with Apple. So I sign in with Google. When I sign in... Google hands over essentially a little package to the Washington Post that says, here's Rich. And a lot of times they'll ask me, like Google will say, are you cool with us telling them about your height, your weight, where you live, (laughs) how many kids you have? And who doesn't allow, right? It breaks everything if you don't. So you say allow. And then what happens is now the Washington Post is going to create its own version of me. So it can get to know me. So for example, if it sees me hanging out a lot in the business section, it's doing two things. One, it's able to better tailor the content to me because it sees I'm into, I'm more interested in business news, but they do something else, which is they participate in a marketplace where now that they have built a richer, a higher fidelity profile of me, they're able to sell that information back out to the world. To be clear, we're we're speculating, the Washington Post is a general case, or we're speculating. We don't know exactly how it does. I I would take it one level up, Paul. It's not the Washington Post that's doing it. There are beacons sitting in the Washington Post that's saying, hey, listen, if you let us do this, we'll give you some money, right? We'll give you some money, some pennies per user, right? They're tricky because they have their own ad and publishing platform. But yes, the general principle. If you ran certain tools on your browser and hit the New York Times, which is has very nice typography, is very well regarded, 
north of 30 other providers are touching my information. You know, God bless them. I love them. It's my hometown. God bless everybody. Most righteous, this- organ- most righteous organization in the world. And they are just, it's just like, wow, you just, wow. Okay. You just giving it up right there. That's, that's not mine anymore. So now let's log in with my mm. Web3 ID. Right? Oh, hell yeah. First of all, how do you do that? Okay. It doesn't exist. Nothing exists, Paul. The stock market is essentially a marketplace for hope and uh, nothing exists, right? But let's let's go to the future. What's fun about this stuff, and I'm going to say this in a positive way, is that when you make these promises, these insane promises, it really gets certain people excited to experiment and innovate and try things and fail. And, And that is cool. Like there is a lot happening on GitHub because people aspire to achieve what is being written up in a very, frankly, casual way in other places. The year is 2028. My options are sign in with Google, sign in with Apple, sign in with your Web3 ID. Okay. I click that one, and then something very different happens. The promise is that the New York Times, let's say I'm signing into the New York Times, has to go and reach out into the blockchain where my identity has been decentralized. Nobody owns it. It's in fact distributed on the it's it's on the blockchain effectively which means its integrity is there because of the the assurances that the blockchain provides that it's it kind be, of a decentralized database at this point it can go out and it can traverse that blockchain and find my record in some reasonable amount of time that's right this implies that i have created an account on my web3 whatever it is, and that I've probably paid a little, some nonsense nickels into the thing. Well, I mean, I mean, you're touching on something really important here, right? Which is all of this consolidation that's occurred over the last 20 years is a product of people providing conveniences and improved experiences. That's really what it is, right? Like that's why Coinbase, let's just jump right into it. Coinbase exists because they've created an interface to make it easy to deal with this very complicated world. You've got, I think, one Coinbase portfolio, but they'll deal with all the dirty work of dealing with different cryptos and all of that stuff. But guess what happens here? And, there's, and, and Coinbase is actually indicative of how hard this really is, because guess what happened? Coinbase has your account and Coinbase yep. is on the stock market. And while yep. Coinbase is promising the dream of crypto, your identity Coinbase is going to defend what it has gotten to know about you. That is going Mm -hmm. to happen. And your wallet. And your wallet. Right, right. Which I do think there's something here, but I thought there was something here with Web 2 and Web 1. And I think what this is about isn't a bug in the technology, but a bug in humans. Well, presupposes that a bunch of people have spun up their Web 3 nodes you know, someone's got to run software somewhere for you to register your identity and to do the mining and yeah. verify the ledger and all that, right? So we are we are presupposing that, but that that's okay. Web one, everybody had their own web servers, right? That they yeah. were putting. Like I, I think about Git and GitHub, right? Like Git is a decentralized version control system. Anybody can run their own Git server. They all, they're, it's completely decentralized, right? You don't have to be online to use Git. You can have it locally. Mm-hmm. But then GitHub came along and made an amazing interface to that, right? And that's what Coinbase did, 
right? They made mm-hmm. an easy interface for anybody to sign up and have a wallet and, and exchange crypto and buy and buy crypto. But are we back to square one? Well, that's the thing. Git is hilariously like absolutely no more centralized servers ever. We are done. Anyone can have their own entire history of the entire code base and everybody can kind of meet up when they want and merge those code bases together. There is no source of truth ever. There is no canonical repository. Turns out people desperately want and need a canonical repository for their brains. Like their brains can't handle infinite decentral. And I think the same thing's happened with Coinbase where it's just like, yeah, yeah, blockchain, absolutely. No central control. No, oh, but I do like that one central control. I mean, I think about the features that GitHub built in, right, that Git didn't have. It was pull requests. It was collaboration. It was people joining and understanding each other's identity and, and talking to one another, right? Because the way that Git does that is you like email patch files to Linus Torvalds, right? Like right. it's like a real, like it, it's just very like, Computer to computer, it's truly decentralized. If GitHub had not come along, Git would have 50,000 users. There'd be books about it. Like Gina and I would have learned it. We'd be really into it. We'd be like, this is a cool solution in the same way that we learned HTML because it makes sense and it's useful and it's decentralized and we'd be really committed to that aspect of it. And then the other tens of millions of people who use GitHub would never have used that tool. I was thinking hard about like, you know, the piping of the web as it exists today. And if there are any part, because it is truly still decentralized, even though your data is living in like four places, it is actually very decentralized. I'm thinking like who, what part of the web is just impenetrable in terms of attempting to centralize? And I figured it out. This is the way I, I found an example. Have you ever tried to move a domain name from GoDaddy to like <laughs> name.com? <laughs> Yeah, no. Have you ever tried to do it? It's remarkable. It's it the, is a the remarkable, beautiful thing. Handshakes and oh, pin you gotta numbers. change that one record in your DNS with like the magic key. But you know, there is something about that which is like, look, no matter, and and they bury it too, right? GoDaddy does not want you leaving, uh, and so it's just, buried in under eight layers. It's anti-usability, right? Because they are losing control effectively. And it's the same yes. with like, you know, telling Google, I want my emails back and I want you to wipe everything out. There is a way, but boy, it's painful for them. That really hurts when that happens, right? So, you know, humans and organizations and people who have aspirations can't help but centralize. And I think the reality is users want it. They want that ease of use. Somebody's going to nail that Web3 wallet somehow, some way. I think somebody's going to nail it and they're going to make a billion dollar company. Then we have a really slow database for authentication. Like, what's the point? (laughs) (laughs) That basically destroys the planet before Web3 actually gets popular enough to, to help us. Paul, let me tell you something. I'm an important person and I want three GeForce... 3090s to spin up every time I sign into anything. No, but but here's what you're talking about with that. This is what you're really talking. You're saying, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to create all the same basic services around authentication and content management and profile and personal data and all that stuff. We're going to do all that. And we're going to do it on the blockchain in such a way like Git. That anyone, you have your own copy of your stuff and your stuff could be spread throughout the internet and it can kind of meet up and merge depending on how these different blockchain algorithms run. But what's really going to happen is that everybody's going to consolidate that data to make it quick and fast. So we'll have like this nice mirror of the blockchain because the New York Times can hit that 
they'll index it for you and it'll make it really easy. And for an extra three ninety nine a month, you'll get hyper fast login. Well, no, you know who will pay for that is is the New York Times because they can't go out to log people in if the demand exists, right? So there's all. Let's this. assume that's what solved, though. No, but what you're saying really is that like if that's if all that stuff is going to centralize, it's all the same stuff, slower with a layer of financialization due to the tokenization of all the different digital assets built in. So that's what you're going to get. You're going to essentially. All the things that we think of as core internet services that have become centralized will be re-centralized again within the decade, except this time they'll be banks. I think that's right. Look, let's go back to and connect it to the last episode. Web1 promised the thing. There was the dot-com boom, pets.com, CD now when everybody's buying CDs, mm-hmm. and then it burst. And then Web2 came out of it, and that felt like very democratic, very empowering. And then that created a lot of consolidation eventually. I've seen this movie before, I guess is what I'm getting at here, around centralization. Is that what we're seeing? And we're just going to constantly centralize and decentralize. No, we, just we commodify that revolution over and over again, right? And I think what is interesting here and what's different is that it's actually coming pre-commoditized through the exchange to Bitcoin and, and to other, you know, the marketplaces for this stuff. So right, that's the financial is, scaffolding went up first. There's a $3 trillion valuation on blockchain related like currencies, right. Right. right? So that that's equivalent to Google plus Apple. And it is held by lots of different people. I mean, I was going to say like the stupid monkeys, like that's all we get. At the same time, like my buddy Jack is doing beautiful generative art and selling it through the the Hicket Nunk NFT marketplace, which is much less ecologically damaging than other ones. So it's like there is a whole world that is emerging that is really interesting and weird and the art is good and there's all this other stuff happening. There are cool bands involved. So it's like I'm not that down on it that way. But I, I think that we are headed, like I said, 10 years from now, it's all the same stuff, except you're able to get to it from one website. And it's also kind of a bank and that it's the same stuff, but now banked. I, w- I want to close with a question for each of you, pioneers of the internet. Start with Gina. Gina, are we just old people getting it wrong and being grumpy? And are we going to be proven <laughs> wrong? Maybe. Always. <laughs> Always. I, listen, we have to assume that there are things that we're not seeing. Listen, we the patterns reemerge. I think that we, we've seen, you know, everything yeah. happened before will happen again. But there are parts of this that we're probably not seeing. I remember making an argument to, my, to a friend of mine that websites were for documents, for publishing, and not applications should never run in a web browser, that that was banana cakes. And I was dead wrong. No, yeah. so you I were may right. Be dead wrong you right were now. right. Look what happened. They, they should have listened to you. <laughs> they should have kept them. They should have just stopped. The PDFs and that would have been that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a, a, a rule, and the rule comes because I remember one. I remember looking at Twitter and going, "Boy, they ruined it all. That will never succeed. What a terrible idea." And the thing that I have learned is that the thing that you identify, stop thinking about what's wrong or right. The thing that you identify as the worst thing is often the thing that is most primed to succeed. Like your repulsion is actually a very powerful TikTok. indicator of success. Yep. TikTok? Ew, really, bro? Oh, God. They're all going to just dance them. Vine lived and died in like three months. And I'm like, okay, As now oh this? Yeah. We are so I mean, old and wrong. TikTok well, no, is great. Yeah. <laughs> what are but you I, reacting I like that. To? I love the surprise behind it. I mean, 
what are you reacting to? You're reacting to a change. You have, we've generated a lot of our power and authority in our life by being really good at certain forms. When we were doing them, everybody thought that they, people thought blogging was gross. They thought Gawker was terrible. They yes. thought that I was a joke when I was writing my website. And then people, as, as time went on, like better publishers started to reach out to me. And so like there is an acculturation process when I look at the Web3 stuff and I feel like, oh, really? That's usually an indicator that something is, is going to get really, really big. <laughs> and, and so I accept that. There's a lot of static right now. Like somebody's got to write that killer essay that resets it all. I don't know who's going to do that. But no, nobody's going right to do that. I don't know much. who's going to do it. <laughs> no. Ford, maybe? No. I had to choose between uh, blockchain and climate. And I chose, chose climate. I chose climate. I just want to build something with it and see what happens. But then whenever I go to do that, it's like, first, follow these 360,000 steps and learn 12 programming languages. Second, wouldn't you rather just trade Bitcoin? So I'm just like, I'm like it's just hard to get enthusiastic. Yeah. And I've read so many explainers. I think if you brush it off, it's bad. But I think if you're suspicious and probe it, and there are interesting things going on here, I think... The idea of creating markets that ensure, like, is there opportunity because people are fed up with all their data being just sold around constantly? Yeah. So there's opportunity. There is opportunity there. I think people are a little casual about the implementation, as always, and the hard work's ahead. We'll see. This has been great. I mean, two pioneers talking about the past and the future. God. <laughs> Nothing's worse than being a pioneer. That's just yeah. like being prematurely dead. Yeah, I was going to say, I've never felt older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two, pioneer just means that your best years are behind you. You happened to do something when you were younger that was a little bit relevant, but now your moldy corpse let's, continues Let's end it with a future. Oh, I'm dust. I went Dude. past mold. Yeah. Postlight.com. We don't need to market Postlight because we are the future and we are run by one of the most forward-looking teams Gina is just leading the way here. Jokes aside, great, great work comes out of the designers, engineers, product thinkers at Postlight. Check us out at postlight.com. Have a great week. Have a great holiday, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye.